And welcome down the security rabbit hole. This is Raf on the Down the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. And James is back, James. Uh, you know, I've been, I've been missing and I'm, I'm glad to be back. It's like uh, missing in action, except uh, he's been missing with family stuff, I'm sure. Uh, I tell you, this is this is the worst season right now because it is it is baseball, soccer and flag football all at the same time. And uh, it pretty much keeps us busy every day. <laughs> so you play flag football, huh? I don't. My son does. <laughs> <laughs> uh, likely story. All right, folks. Um, so we've got a guest that uh, that the last time this person was on with us uh, was episode fifty four. <laughs> so so it's August nineteenth, twenty thirteen. It has been a hot minute. Hey, Rob Graham, what's up, dude? Hey, man. All right, that's the. <laughs> I, I expected I expected longer, but I. I <laughs> Should know I thought better. we covered this, Raph. I mean, it's you know <laughs> short, like one word answers. That's it. I, I, I'm not a cooperative guest. <laughs> it's like being interviewed by the FBI. Rob, were you at this place? No, no. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's start off with the most relevant and pertinent thing. Since by the time you guys are listening to this, uh, you've gone and voted. Hopefully, or you're going out and vote. Please, God, go out and vote. Um, if you haven't voted and you're listening to this like the day after, shame on you. Go hack the vote and go vote. <laughs> Just kidding. That's totally not Listen, funny. Don't don't start any rumors, Raph. All of a sudden, these you know, I I was looking forward to tomorrow being the last day of my spam text messages, the junk oh my in my God. mailbox, all that stuff. And you go saying something like that, they're gonna push it back. They're gonna have to investigate, <laughs> and you know, we're gonna get another year of this crap. Uh, Rob, are you getting these too? These text messages asking you to go vote and go vote this party, go vote that party. Don't forget to vote. I haven't gotten any text messages. Of course you haven't. Uh, how do you figure out how to do Like Every phone I have has gotten them, except for my <laughs> Google Voice account. That one doesn't because I think we filter those. Well, one thing I've done is I looked online for um, area codes where they are creating new area codes. Like every time a state, you know, the population increases, they need to add new area code. Yeah. I go find that area code and then I go – well, I've only done it once – um, and then signed up for uh, Google's Project Fi, where you can select a, a phone number from anywhere in the country, and selected one from that area code. So therefore, I've got a phone number that um, is guaranteed not to have been reused. So I don't get like calls looking for someone from five years ago from a collection agency looking to collect a debt or none of that nonsense. That's actually not a terrible idea. Although what's really funny is I when I did that I picked a phone number from uh, I was trying to be funny at one point picked a phone number from like middle of nowhere Montana I <laughs> think that would have been safe <laughs> but I started getting like messages about somebody apparently that had that phone number before me uh, was putting bulls to stud and I don't really I'm not familiar <laughs> with what that means <laughs> other than it caught it made for some colorful conversations. <laughs> 
Nice. <laughs> anyway, so Georgia, um, so there's a, uh, and James and I clearly have had a busy day, so we've just read the headlines, as I'm sure most of you guys have. Um, luckily, Rob's here to tell us all about this in detail. <laughs> but uh, so um, our gov, our current, no, our current, uh, what is he? What is he? Secretary of State. He's Secretary of State. Yeah, for, it opened an investigation. So what what happened is is well, there's history, and then there's what happened recently. So let's start <laughs> with what happened recently first. Then we'll go back to the history. So what happened recently is that um, on Saturday night, like last night, um, or two nights ago, Sunday yeah, night. It's Monday when we're recording this, Rob. Um, somebody found a vulnerability on a uh, the voting registration website for Georgia, like oh, vote dot. GA.gov or something like that. Wait, hold on. Does this like an air quotes found a vulnerability? Yeah, it is. It's it's someone who's outside our community, so they're they're not really too familiar with the whole what we do, but they found an obvious vulnerability. It was a direct op- well from what I read from the tea leaves from the articles, it's kind of hard to actually say what actually happened on the technical detail in front of me. Yeah. But what it appears like is that it was a normal direct object reference, which is that they had – you logged on with your voter information. You created an account, and then once you had an account num- account name, you had an account number, and that uh, appeared in the URL. And so you could simply increment that by one and access someone else's account. That appears to be what happened. So you could change their information. You could uh, invalidate their registration. So you could go look for Democrats and or Republicans and like cancel them so they can't vote. Or get their votes counted correctly, or something, or change the information, different name, whatever. That's what it appears to have happened, and it's a normal, well-known bug. We're all familiar with it. You see a number in the URL, your instinct is to change it, increment it by one. Yeah, nineteen ninety-nine called. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's like one of the oldest bugs on the internet, and it's still there in these voting systems. So that's what appears to be the bug, and so um, and it percolated up through the grapevine, kind of in a in a bad path. It was noted by um, somebody who then uh, notified the Democratic Party and the lawyers of the Democratic Party in Georgia, because Brian Kemp is the um, Secretary of State running for governor, and he's a he's controversial because A, he's running for governor, and B, he's in charge of making sure the election system's not corrupt. So he's in <laughs> space to corrupt the election system. So that's made people worried, and there's lots of controversy over that. But anyway, so it percolated through the Democrat Party and then eventually got to his office that hey, there's a problem with the election system, with the, the online website. And um, he announced last night – there's a link on his on his website, the, the government's website, the Secretary of State website, sos.ga.gov. Um, about how they're now doing criminal investigation into the Democratic Party of Georgia for having hacked the website, uh, and and it's it's really you know there might be something where they like bulk downloaded all the information they're not supposed to have or something, but uh, it it looks like you know everything they claim, even on the, the on their side, is simply that they investigated the vulnerability. Which is not a crime. You can uh, do that sort of stuff, and the CFAA violation is not there. So, um, so yeah. So that's from our point of view as a, as, a, as a security community. That's it's it, it's all it's it's uh, triggering all our buttons of someone going after the the vulnerability researcher or whoever found the vulnerability, rather than making secure systems. Wow, that doesn't and, sound familiar at all. 
And um, and so yeah, so and and also the, the thing like he's saying, well, it was it was invalid because they they went to the Democrats instead of going to law enforcement. Well, who are you going to call for law enforcement? You can call it nine one one when you have a vulnerability in the website. Yeah, you know, that's not. You know who who do you call in law enforcement? You just don't know. You're likely to talk to someone you do know, like, hey, you know, Democrat Party, maybe they know. I'll contact them because they're concerned about it. So it's so it's one of those things from, from our point of view is that disclosure never happens in as you think it should have happened in hindsight. When people get a vulnerability, especially if you're an outsider in the community, like a web developer who notices this obvious problem, you don't know what to do. You don't know how to, to disclose it properly or to verify the vulnerability before disclosing it. You're always going to mess up, and it's not a crime, and it's not something worth investigating and uh, – and it's yeah. His response was was bad. Even if it is a crime, if actually there was a crime, it should have been handled in, in private rather than making it public on his website two days before the election. So that's bad. But anyway, that's what happened this weekend. Then there's what's happened historically in Georgia. There's been lots of problems with Brian Kemp and the election systems. Uh, there was a news article. I don't. I don't have the link that that went through and documented a lot of these problems with Georgia election systems that Brian Kemp is responsible for, where he's done a poor job in in managing their cybersecurity. In particular, he was a backer of of a bill earlier this year that passed both houses of the state legislature, but was vetoed by the governor that would make security research illegal. That accessing a website without permission. Even if you don't get any information or cause any problems or steal anything or do anything bad, it was still uh, a crime. Yeah, I, re- I remember the uproar from that. Like people lost their minds. Yeah, the whole security community uh, came out against it, and um, yeah, I, I think I think the the government, the the federal government, eventually their um, the attorney general's uh, division eventually I think called the government and said, "Hey, you ought to veto this," because at the federal level. They're doing the right things. They're whether it's the the executive branch or the legislative branch, they're uh, doing policy to protect security researchers because they realize that this is where all vulnerabilities get fixed. Is whenever you get your monthly download nag from iPhone or from Windows desktop telling you to update stuff, most of those vulnerabilities come from outsiders through the vulnerability vulnerability disclosure process. And so the federal government recognizes this. We need to protect researchers. At the state level, though, it's all about going after researchers, suppress the bad news. Um, There must be bad people or they wouldn't be probing for these vulnerabilities. So he's got history of being on the wrong side of cybersecurity research. Wow. So this is going to be a mess. This is not going to – this is not – like literally the the couple days before the election takes place – this happens, right? There, I don't want to be a. I don't want to be one of those people. But if there was ever a conspiracy theory, <laughs> I mean, well, honestly, yeah, he's, he's well, he he's got you know this legitimate concern that as the the leader of you know the the the, the, the person in the office in charge of the of election integrity, being the one running for governor in a tightly you know in a close race. There's those concerns that you know you'd better take extra steps to uh, to maintain your at least to visit you know to appear to be doing the right thing, but he's taking steps to to appear to be doing the wrong thing, and that's kind of that's just incompetence. Yeah, well, 
how, how do you feel? I mean, okay, that this issue aside, how do you feel about uh, this whole? Because we've 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 been down the cycle, this particularly this election cycle, uh, since what? Since Black Hat and DefCon about hacking voting machines and remote voting things and blah blah blah. How do you how do you feel about this election with all that being uh, uncovered? Well, I, I think largely it's a red herring in, in that. Um, Elections. There's so many ways of hacking an election. If you want to 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 actually get um, Trump to win versus Clinton, uh, making uh, hacking the traffic lights in major cities, causing huge traffic jams on election day, would be enough to swing, uh, you know, uh, a, a closely contested state and swing the election in his favor. And it, it's not even targeting the election systems. Hmm. So there are ways you can influence the vote without actually targeting the election systems. And yeah, the election systems are bad, but I'm worried that this focus on how bad they are leads people to believe that they're just being hacked all the time. And that every close, closely uh, tight election, somebody cheated. And that's why I fear in Georgia here is there, I doubt that there was any actual election problem, but now people will have the, the impression that whoever wins will be illegitimate. So whichever side wins, and they're currently like one percent apart in the polls, the other side will claim that the win is illegitimate, and that is what threatens our our society more than any of the policies of either the politicians. Or uh, whether they're actually hacked, the appearance of being hacked, and the 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 populace not um, accepting the legitimacy of the election—that's a major problem. That's why societies fail. When you look at other countries around the world for the, over the last hundred years, the the legitimacy of the election is really really important. Well, and yeah. that's you know that's I mean that's what we're seeing though in a lot of things. I mean it's not necessarily the hacking of it. I mean if you look at the systems across the country. You know, I mean, to be able to hack a major election, legitly, if you're doing it through the election system, I mean, everybody's using different systems. I mean, it's not like everybody has the same system set up, and you can hack one spot. Right. You got to go every place, right? So we're turning to this idea that, you know, if I can just put some, if I can cast some doubt, you know, we're at a time where evidence doesn't really matter anymore. It's look, if I can right. cast that doubt out there and get people thinking it then, you know, it's enough to throw it out of whack. It's enough to delay something. It's enough to, you know, cause more of that discrepancy between one side or the other to be able to say, oh, well, you know, oh, no, we, we didn't lose because it was a, ha you know, it just, it just causes so much more animosity that's going on without really anything behind it to say that's actually what happened. Hmm. Right. So I think that, that they, after DEFCON, they did that report on the election systems, and it was good from the point of view that it documented a lot of things that are wrong with, with these boxes. But on the other hand, it was bad in that it, I think it hyped a little bit too much doubt in the election systems, when there is actually in practice a lot of things that go on that, that make such hacks less less likely to succeed. Yeah, one voter can go in there and change something and, and change either uh, their vote or a vote on the system or all the votes on one box, but that won't swing in the election. So, um, yeah, so I, I think there's a, there's too much hype going on that's, that's doing more to cast doubt in the integrity of our elections than it is in doing what's necessary to, to secure our, our, our elections. Do you see that same thing? I mean, do you feel the same way about the hype amongst like critical infrastructure, uh, you know, the electric grids, all that stuff? I mean, we have that same hype behind that, right? I mean, you, you read any news headline and it's 
you know, I could push a button and shut off electricity for the entire country. You know, and to me, it's kind of similar to the election systems, right? They're so disparate. They're so separated that, you know, to pull off something that wide scale really isn't what the concern is or or where that focus should be. It should be on, you know, smaller pieces. Yeah. So the United States is different than a lot of countries. I've been in a country where I did a pen test and had my finger on the button that would have turned off the power for the entire country. This was a foreign country. So other countries do manage their power grids that way where there is actually one point of control where you could do that. But the United States, there's 10,000 different companies involved. Even in like Atlanta, there's different, gen- different companies involved in generating power, distributing it throughout the state, distributing it at the, at the neighborhood level. Uh, and it, even though we all go through Georgia Power as you know, just our one bill that we pay one company, it's actually quite a diverse system that gets that power to, to customers. And so uh, to hack that, yeah, it's really easy to cause somewhere in the country a power, a small scale power outage that lasts five minutes. That's really easy. That's trivial. Anyone can do that. But to cause, as as you say, a nationwide blackout that all goes off at once, that's essentially impossible. It's not going to happen. And so there is quite a bit. There is a problem that, yes, we need to secure this. We need to take this, this problem seriously. But at the same time, these these uh, scenarios that people imagine um, are just unrealistic. Well, and I, I think this is indicative of just sort of the the kind of I, I'm going to take this slightly different direction because we have watched over the last 20 years, Rob, or so, right, where security we've been whining and complaining, and and in a lot of cases, to good cause. Um, that security wasn't taken seriously, that it wasn't in the forefront of people's minds, that it wasn't an everyday person thing, that like my grandma and grandpa couldn't figure it out, like you know, whatever. And and now it's in it's so much in the mainstream mainstream conscious of the uh, of society that I think we're just sort of like, eh, right? But what's now happening is we've had so many. I'm going to use air quotes here and with my fingers. Experts in the news. Right on election cycles and whatever, uh, I'm going to liken this to when the air, airliner disappeared. Suddenly, anybody that's ever seen an airplane is, is an expert on CNN um, or Fox or whatever, whatever you're watching. Right, and and there's just experts everywhere, and we still don't have a good, mm, you know, a, a good way of judging fact from fiction, and so crazy hype uh reigns not just within our community but like we can't control it between ourselves much less to the outside world and suddenly this machine that we've built this desire to make sure that everybody is hyperly sensitive to the security community is now hypersensitive to security community drama yeah yeah i hate this these these experts on tv because um Anyone can go on TV and say, hey, uh, we need to take security seriously, and they're immediately treated as an expert because an expert is someone who tells you to take things seriously. A doctor is someone who tells you to lose weight. Um, your your teacher tells you to do your homework and so on and so forth. That, that makes them an expert because they're the moral authority telling you what you should do. In, in reality, these things are, are difficult. A, a true expert is going to equivocate. They're going to say, well, you know, security is a trade-off and, you know – in these areas, you don't actually need to be the most secure thing in the world, and maybe the solution to the power grid isn't to secure the power grid, but to encourage uh, people to have batteries and, and backup generators at home. And maybe that's the solution to the power grid instead of cybersecurity. Mm. So 
that experts going to to have these nuanced discussions. And what we see um, in the news is that the news prefers either the people who aren't experts but who say the right things, or they they quote experts in only sort of a slice of what they say. Um, one story on on that was asking like why hasn't the cyber terrorists attacked the power grid in the last fifteen years despite warnings from experts from government experts? Well, they, they quoted um, Jake Williams who who has a good who is a great company uh, for for doing just this, and they quote him in such a way that it could be interpreted differently. He said that the the situation the problem is complex. And the article seems to imply that the problem is complex because it's too difficult for hackers to to handle that they can't they're not good enough at hacking. And in reality, he this why well, I assume this statement. Well, that's no, no for me knowing the background is that it's because no, there's ten thousand companies involved, and while it's actually an easy problem to solve for any one company, it's, to actually make a widespread um, frightening scenario. Was just, it's just too many companies to hack. You'll get found out long before you can hack them all. So th- what complex means, you know, they, they 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 want to fit it into their narrative of of one thing, but it's more nuanced in, in the rea- in the other thing. Well, golly, Batman. I mean, that's how the media seems to be working, right? I mean, that's we the term if it bleeds, it leads. Uh, is an unfortunate and tragic uh, understanding of how media actually works. And what's worse is. As uh, as the media sort of started uh, losing control or losing power, maybe uh, the the clickbait got worse, which means the more sensational uh, halfwits that could you know uh, tell you that the world's going to explode by somebody clicking a button in a, on a computer, um, those people got on the news as opposed to the, those of us that have been sane. Um, and, and I think that's like again largely our own doing, but it's just a ma- it's just a, f- a fact of the f- of the world we live in. I don't even know how to solve that. Well, it's it's one of those things that the internet has changed life, and it's not always for the better. The <laughs> it, it's kind of a, I, I, looking at kids going into journalism as a major these days. I don't think they're looking at the tr- at the graph. The graph of journalism jobs is every year they go down. Yeah. And it's because we have new media now, and well, old media consolidates because people are less concerned about local issues, and they just want to go to a website. Yeah, so or Twitter. Or, or and, and then there's also Twitter that it's you know it's moving away from the old traditional media to social media, and that's weird and corrupt and wrong. But yeah, it's, it's the face of media that we've had. This idea we have of journalism going back hundreds of years is is obsolete now we don't know where the future is going to head for that well you know i mean now journalism is uh you know all driven by click ratios right i mean they get paid by click and this it doesn't one matter thing what will the, secure your company click here to find out right you know i mean it, it, it it's no longer about what the story is or anything like that is it's can i get a click I, it's funny it drives me nuts watching like our local morning news or something like that you know that runs from five o'clock till 10 o'clock in the morning and they'll sit there and be like, all right, we're, we give you the news to get you going in the morning and you turn it on at six o'clock and they're like, all right, coming up at eight 30. And you're like, I'm gone by eight 30, you know, or, or, you know, they'll, they tell you a little bit about the story and they're like, for the rest of the story, go to our Facebook page. It's like, I'm watching you now. Why am I going someplace else? Like my that, response to that is I'm just going to go to Twitter. <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, but that is that is definitely frustrating. Uh, one thing you said, Rob, but I, I keyed in on a little bit because we had this conversation. I don't know if you remember, Raph, where you're talking to somebody else, uh, talking about critical infrastructure uh, a bunch of episodes ago. And we were talking and, Rob, you mentioned, uh, you know, like generators and batteries and stuff. And I'd said the same thing saying, look, I mean, if if the government was really that concerned about our power grid going down like that, they do the same thing to do for our hurricanes and all that stuff. And they would recommend people like, hey, everybody should have a generator. You know, everybody should have this. If you're that concerned that a hacker is going to take out our entire grid, you would offer up solutions so our country doesn't go into complete dismay if that was going to happen anytime. So, you know, and so I look at things kind of from that perspective of, well, what are they offering up on this type of stuff to be able to, yeah, I mean, if there's a slight recommendation, I mean, fortunately, I'd say fortunately, I guess I live in Florida, so we're in Hurricaneville, so I have a generator, right? But, <laughs> you know, I mean, that that type of stuff of, okay, how, how serious is this really being taken? If, if they really think this is going to happen, I mean, why not recommend to people, hey, go get a generator? And you know what? If you feel like you're afraid the power grid's going to go out, go buy a generator. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not, go out and buy one if you're that concerned about it. I mean, as a as a user, me sitting here, I can't do anything for what my local electric company does either way. The yeah. only thing I can do is what I can control, and I can have a generator. I can have battery backups, I, you know, whatever. But I, I can't do anything else. So the story I was mentioning earlier uh, about asking why these these government experts have said for 15 years that, that cyber terrorism is just around the corner and it hasn't, and so the the article is asking why it hasn't happened, but the article wasn't asking why have they been wrong for 15 years, and I I have several suspicions why that might be, but it's the same thing about why they don't recommend generators is because I think they have an, an agenda and the agenda is to make people afraid not to fix the problem. If they want to fix the problem, we'll focus more on generators and batteries. Batteries especially work well for alternative energy sources that are sources during inconvenient times during the day. So batteries that that charge up during inconvenient times, like at midnight, or and discharge during like the peak hours, are are actually good for the power grid regardless of security. But they don't care about solving the problem. They care about causing fear and about this moral stance that security is this moral duty. And I'm an expert because I know what's morally right. And that's the stance they're taking, even though they are not a technical expert. They have no experience in cybersecurity and yada, yada, yada. They, they want to be considered an expert. So they take the moral authority approach. So I think that's where we're at is that all the, all the people who get coverage – uh, are the ones that aren't actually trying to solve the problem. They're just trying to insert themselves into the debate of saying, hey, I'm a national security expert, so therefore I'm an expert on cybersecurity. Well, and, you know, as we've talked about, Raph, we've mentioned multiple times, right? I mean, it is security's marketing medium. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I want to market my company, I'm going to go, you know, get in coded on articles. I'm going to be on the TV. I'm going to do all these different things. Absolutely. As, as a marketing feature, right? And, uh, you know, and it's we're incentivized to do that. We are incentivized within our own industry to put ourselves out there like that so we can sell our, our products. Is it, but is it – look, so, so like when a, when a disaster strikes, a flood or hurricane or whatever, I don't necessarily – I mean insurance companies and like, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and those don't go on TV and, and say, hey, by the way, we're here – uh, our prices have slightly gone up, or like you know, neighborhood uh, John's neighborhood roofing doesn't. I mean, I don't see. I haven't seen that. Do you guys? I mean, I guess James, you'd see that more than anybody. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, I don't really feel like I see that as much. You know, I mean, on the news, we do see, you know, local business people talking on certain topics. But, yeah, I mean, not as much. I mean, I, maybe it's because we all know that Lowe's and Home Depot are there. Like, it's in our face all the time, you know, versus security solutions that are out there are not, you know, I'm not driving down the street seeing those. Maybe maybe that's a differentiator. I don't know. So Waffle House is actually famous for for this, about keeping the Waffle Houses open during natural disasters to the limits they're able to uh, without endangering their employees. And and no, not raising prices at all. And not even, not even a smidgen, which they should, but they don't. And so um, there are companies or large nationwide chains who do actually focus on making sure they're there for national disasters. And they should charge more, but then the public gets mad about price gouging, so they don't. Yeah. But I think to Raph's point, they're not – or at least I don't see them. I mean I, I love me some Waffle House, but I don't see ads from Waffle House saying like, hey, we're still open. Come on down. You know, I mean that's more of a, I don't know, word of mouth type of thing that passes around versus somebody jumping in an article saying, hey, we're still here. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of where that difference is, is that in, especially in security world, you know, I mean, if anything happens, you know, this article uh, or, you know, like the post you have talking about this, this stuff with this guy, uh, you know, a vulnerability comes out. People are hopping on vulnerabilities. They're they're putting out the worst case scenario that could possibly happen, but probably would never really happen. So I could talk about it and get in front of the headlines just so I can get my name out there versus, you know, actually being kind of realistic and breaking down logic behind it and saying, hey, look, this happened. It could do this, but most likely it's not going to do this. Here, here's, you know, realistic info about this. But rarely do we see that, right? We see very one-sided, hey, I got to make this as, you know, high priority as possible so I can push it out and, and have it in front of as many faces as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I I. I because I, I get contacted a lot by the press, and I always feel good when I'm the voice of reason in, in a story. Well, you know, I mean, look, I mean, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I, we don't agree on everything, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, you know, you you had the story that you're talking about, and you sent me to the blog so I could look your write up on it, and uh, but I mean, you write up and you go down, and I mean, yeah, sure, you know, you've got your opinions on how things go, but you're not. It doesn't feel one sided to me. You know what I mean? Like you're breaking down and saying. Okay, we've got this here. We've got these other things. You're pulling in different stuff. It's not just a write-up that says, "Hey, they were vulnerable. They got hacked. They they just lost a ton of stuff, and and they suck." Right? It's there's more to it than I guess what I'm really used to seeing. You know what I mean? Like, right? It's not. It doesn't feel biased one way or another. Is what is nice about it. You know, it's not pushing out there saying, hey, the sky is falling. It's look, probably nothing really happens here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, look, by the way, you go out to the SOS site and uh, they don't even use HTTPS. Yeah, I thought that was amusing. Our sites are secure. And then you have Google telling you, Google Chrome saying not secure. Which, well, I mean, it's secure ish. I mean, which really. is more amusing than anything. But yeah, it's it's still amusing. I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to insist on being amused by that. <laughs> not going to defend the validity of it, but I insist on being amused. I mean, it is it is somewhat funny. Look, they they came out with that thing. What back in 2016, all gov sites had to be HTTPS, and uh, you know, so to have a site that's not uh, is actually kind of interesting. But if you go out to uh, HTTPS.CIO.gov, uh, you know, I mean, they they mandated this 
back in 2016. So well, that's federal government. So state government. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. But still, at, at some point, you know, HTTPS has gotten so easy, especially like with Let's Encrypt, that it's starting to become harder and harder to justify why your website isn't encrypted. Even though there's really no need for you to be encrypted, you know, you still have to ask yourself, well, why isn't it encrypted? Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one of those. It, it's one of those things that I see debated a lot, um, you know, especially with the browsers now taking it upon themselves to say, look, if you're not using HTTPS, you're automatically getting a not secure right. banner up there. You know what I mean? I mean, it, they are taking the charge and making sure to say, hey, you're not using HTTPS and I'm telling the world about it. <laughs> to be fair, there's lots of issues involved. For example, it, it doesn't secure the website. It just secures the communication to the website. So that's a language issue. Um, there's also the other issue that people are really upset with the fact that now um, malware is now hosted on HTTPS because now it's so easy that even malware can use it for hosting. And that gives it a certain um, confidence to the user that it's not malware when, in fact, it is malware. So there are issues surrounding this. And, of course, you don't always need HTTPS. You don't need to be secure most of the time. But on the other hand, you know, if we only secure stuff when we're doing something bad, then we're not really actually doing secure things. Security needs to be part of what everyday stuff is. So it's not just my website hosting porn that's encrypted. It's just like every website that, no matter what they host, is encrypted. Do we get, do we get to say, do, Rob, do we get to say when everything's encrypted, when everything's secure, nothing's secure? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I could not resist. Yeah. Now that's you know that's a good point though you know making out for people is the the way they term that stuff because a lot of people think that when they see HTTPS they assume that the site is secure. I mean I can't tell you the number of times even when I was a developer you know you talk to other developers and you're like hey what do you do for security they're like oh yeah we're secure we use HTTPS and it's like ah, okay yeah your your communication is kind of you know private but. Do you do anything else? You know, and we've done a lot of push to try to get people to realize that HTTPS does not mean your site is secure. It just means your communication's encrypted. You know, trying trying to get that stuff across. And I know there's been a huge push for, you know, everybody says, oh, well, even if you're not using sensitive data, somebody can man in the middle and they can, you know, inject code and blah, 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 you know, as all their reasoning behind why it is you have to have HTTPS on every single page, no matter what happens to be served up on it hey okay before we just like get down on the entire episode (laughs) i love you guys but this is this is depressing um rob what is like give me a you you follow the news you're kind of the uh uh again we're we're in a lot of trouble when you're the same voice of reason but (laughs) and i say that with all the affection in the world having known you for a while um what what is the thing that we should be worried about right now I think the thing that worries me the most right now for corporations that they should care most about is the the way that ransomware travels via um, shared accounts. So that once it gets domain admin on one on one machine, it can then spread throughout your entire domain, including your backup domains. And that's what happened with like uh, Maersk with uh, not Petya is that it got domain admin, and then that got all their, their servers and then all their backup servers because it was all the same domain that trusted each other. And um, that was a, actually a feature of the original Morris Worm back in, 19, you know, 30 years ago, 1988, 
was that it among its exploits was not just the famous ones of using finger D and SMTP, but was the fact that it then uh, spread via a trusted uh, R shell. So that uh, back then with your Unix systems in the university, you would have one account and then you would be able to then go to any other computer because they all trusted each other. So if you're logged on to one, you can then log on to another. And so uh, that's how the Morris worm spread and that's how Windows ransomware is spreading uh, today. Like the Atlanta hack, that's what happened, is the airport, which is part of the city of Atlanta, wasn't oh, yeah. hacked as they were on a separate, non-trusting uh, Windows domain. So the parts that... Everyone that had trusted the city of Atlanta's central central domains, they all got hacked. All the parts that didn't trust them didn't get hacked. And um, this is a big thing that corporations, I think, are not paying attention to. Their backup live hot backup website still, you know, integrated with all the trusting, and so that a worm that gets one gets their backup. And Maris would have gone down, you know, it was like $300 million, but it would have been, been even worse if they didn't have one machine in Nigeria that wasn't temporarily offline um, that had actually all the data they needed to restore. Uh, can, I, can I just interject that it, you just reminded me it's been 30 years since the Morris worm? I know, right? <laughs> how, how old are we? Jeez. We're <laughs> old. Damn it. Get <laughs> off my lawn. <laughs> I know, right? Oh man, we have been doing this entirely too long. I, I feel like that that line from Louis C.K. like everything's amazing, nobody's happy. Like everything is so much more secure, but nothing is any better. I know. I, actually, you know, I, we, we, it is kind of depressing how these how certain things like are thirty years old. Another thing on, on going across Twitter was a bug in, in Windows going back to DOS, going back to CPM about the con and LPT1 causing problems still today. <laughs> uh, so um, Troy Hunt has his have, have I Been Pwned website that's apparently having problems on the Azure cloud that can't handle uh, email names with LPT1 in them. That's still a bug on Windows. 40 oh years, God. 45 years later, it's just this thing that just sort of just never goes away. But being that as it is... We are vastly more secure. Back 10 years ago, I could just walk into a cafe or an airport or walk by a business and just start um, sidejacking uh, Gmail connections because Gmail will use HTTPS to log in, but then use HTTP for, with, with a session cookie from then on. So you grab the session cookie, you can hijack a connection. Yep. And so uh, things were wildly insecure. And these days, even if it's public Wi-Fi, I probably can't hack the, the HTTPS connections, and it's probably not public Wi-Fi. You probably have to give a, a, a WPA2 password. It's, it's still one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, but right, it's still right. you have to give a WPA2 password, <clears throat> and so it, that'll be encrypted locally as well. So um, there's so much that goes on that I can now trust the internet to do these sorts of things that I couldn't trust it to do ten, even ten years ago. Oy. I don't know. I I, I feel like. That that LPT one thing drives me nuts. I, I feel like we've we've got like HD Moore just ta- uh, posted uh, Matt Green's um, uh, the SSD uh, encryption problem. I'm sure right. <laughs> like hey, we've we've got self encrypting hard drives, except that none of like the, all the SSD ones basically don't work right. And then because the operating system's like, oh, we can do it in hardware. I'm not going to do this in software. And yeah, that makes it worse. Yeah, I think we need to, as consumers, we need to pay attention to whether the company we're buying a product from is has a checkoff item or whether they distinguish themselves by by security. Like Apple iPhone 
and yeah, and Windows, even though people look down on it, distinguish themselves by doing security right. They they spend the enormous amount to hire the best people in the industry. Um, they're the people we look to, and, and, and this is a problem with BitLocker, but they are the people we look to for who does security right that I can actually trust my life that they did it right. And it's iPhone and Windows who we can trust. The average SSD manufacturer is just looking for a checkbox item, which means they have security, but there's no guarantee they've done it right. There's no open source or there's no uh, third-party validation. They haven't made done something extremely stupid by having a backdoor password of empty password allowing you to decrypt a hard drive. Hmm. Well, so though this is kind of like one of those things. And as you were talking about, you know, sidejacking HTTPS uh, cookies for from Gmail, I'm like, yeah, I remember those days, right? We could, uh, I forget the tool that you could like take. Um, what was it? What was the tool called that you could basically uh, slurp uh, uh, Facebook tokens? The uh, tool I wrote was called Hamster. That's it. Then, uh, but then somebody else did FireSheep. FireSheep. Yeah, Fire 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 the other one. Hamster was a proxy server that you hadn't saw that that used libpcap to sniff the network. And it was a proxy server. Uh, Firesheep worked much better because it was just a blog, uh, browser plugin. So you didn't need a proxy server. So I, I, I'm kicking myself for not doing a better job at it. But uh, <laughs> Well, so while Fire, like, look, while Firesheep may not work today, the fact that you've got 600 devices in your house that have IP addresses that somebody can hack and take over your house probably isn't great. <laughs> so, yeah, but those 600 IP addresses are behind a NAT, so it's really hard for hackers to get to them. Mm. So the Barai botnet was all computers or all uh, devices that were exposed to the, to the public internet. Yeah, and uh, the future is not going to be like that because we have we've already used up all the IP addresses, so we're not going to be using any more for IoT devices. Yeah, They're going to be you know, all the new ones are going to be behind NATs or using IPv6, which you can't really stand for. So, um, but the Mirai botnet and this IoT meltdown that people envision in the future is is unlikely to happen. So, was was Mirai a one and done? Like, we're never going to repeat that. Probably. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. That's I have- my prediction, at least. Well, we'll see. In, we'll see five years from now when the next time I'm on the podcast, whether whether I'm right <laughs> or wrong. If we're still in here in five years, folks, we have done something pretty damn good, but. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I think as as uh, we, this is a, a topic that I think we discussed. God, it's got to be ten, eight, nine, ten years ago now. And again, I, I'm losing track of time because that's a long time ago. But as the, um, I think it was Jeremiah Grossman and and then like somebody else we were talking about at like at like CSI conference in uh, in uh, um, Washington D.C. Uh, like the last time that happened, um, we were talking about how the fact that like. Even though we're getting better at solving and more efficient at solving the problems we've seen before, the number of net new things we've never seen before in terms of security problems is is ramping up, right? So even though we're getting better, we're still falling behind. Is that do you still see that today? Do you agree with that? So my theory is is that security is homeostatic, which is like your body temperature is ninety eight point six regardless of whether it's hot or cold out. And I think the security is the same way. Is that Society as a whole, as as technology evolves, we do just enough to keep security constant. So we're not we're not falling behind. We're not getting ahead of the curve. We're just basically staying at the same level we always are. If we start falling behind, we invest more in it. If we start if we're actually getting ahead of the curve, we invest less in it. Okay, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's fairly uh, that's fair. Um, 
You know, what was the quote? Uh, things are um – there was a quote from somebody that I think back James remember back when we had Michael on the show still on a regular basis Mikey we miss you man um, but somebody said that uh, you know we were talking about credit card breaches and oh how the world's going to end because everybody's hacking credit cards we're like yeah but like e-commerce fraud is only as bad as we're allowing it to be because any less uh, bad and we'd think we spend too much on security any any more bad and we like ooh don't spend enough so you're right it it, it regulates itself I guess right. Yeah, actually, we we don't we, we spend too much on securing credit cards because the, the, these cash back these cash back rewards you get for all these cards is because the standards set up a certain amount held aside in case of fraud. We aren't meeting that level, so therefore they give it, give it back to you for cash back rewards. And that's where all these things come from is the fact that the credit cards are too secure. Hmm. Yeah, and well, zero fraud liability is a beautiful thing. Um, but you know what? I think that, that that's kind of like – and just as kind of a put a, a point at the end of this show here, isn't that the whole point of what we do? Like find that – like we're not really here to make things drive security to a to a uh, infinite uh, you know, end state. Like there's never going to be a point where we're going to be like, all right, all secure. Time to go find a new career. Um, you, you can't have a risk factor of zero. There's always something. And I think our goal is to strike that equilibrium. And if what you're saying is true, then we're kind of doing our jobs all right. Well, if we're doing our jobs right, it's, it's not so much that we're, we're making progress on making things more secure. If we assume they're always going to be the same level of security, the more we secure things, the more we enable innovation elsewhere. So a, a firewall is not a device that secures the network. A firewall is a device that allows you to use the network in better ways. So now I can have a website because I got a firewall in front of it, whereas before maybe it was too dangerous to have a website, so I didn't have one. So uh, the more we secure the network, it's not that we're getting ground on security. It's that we're enabling more dangerous behaviors to happen more often. All right. Fair enough. That's a great place to end it, Rob. This has been fun, man. My pleasure. And uh, all right, folks, uh, episode 321 uh, down uh, in the books. And uh, it's been pretty awesome having Rob back, if for no other reason than we got to go in the Wayback Machine a little bit and then uh, talk about, uh, again, Rob, when you're the voice of reason, and I don't, like I said, I'm not, I'm not making fun of this, Julie, but when you're the sane voice of reason, we've got a serious problem. <laughs> yeah, I should, never, I, should, I should never be the sane person in a room. <laughs> <laughs> but uh all right that being said guys thanks for listening james anything any final thoughts yeah i mean listen I, this has been a great episode and uh you know it's good that we finally had it back look rap forgot you were on the show so i i had to try to tell him like look we had you here previously so right, hopefully listen, it won't jerk. be that- <laughs> uh, hopefully it won't be as long next time before you're back on yeah, my oh, pleasure man. look forward to it all right guys hey if you're listening to this on tuesday uh that was uh, sorry yeah, Tuesday. That would be election day. Uh, the seventeen hundred or so of you that will download it overnight, uh, please go vote. It's your civic duty. Uh, it, you should be doing this, whether you vote Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Space Monkey, whatever. Uh, just go do it. Feel good about the fact that you, you have a voice, and uh, I'll leave you with that. Um, and until the next time, uh, thanks for listening to the Down Secure Rabbit Hole podcast. This has been Raff and James with our guest, Rob Graham. Thanks for listening to us. We'll catch you another time, another place. Ciao, folks. Ciao. As we fade out on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole episode, we'd like to encourage you to chat with our hosts and guests using the Twitter hashtag PoundDTSR. 
Please check out the show notes, catch up on any episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Our website is whiterabbit.net, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T dot net. So on behalf of Rafal, James, for now it's goodbye. We'll see you soon on another Down the Security Rabbit Hole 